Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Simone Riscala, and you are listening to the Endowed Podcast, a conversation not just about the feminine genius in general, but about cultivating your particular feminine genius through the Catholic intellectual tradition and intentional community. Good morning, Endow ladies. Uh, my name is Katie Smith, and I'm the Executive Director of Endow. And it is my great privilege to introduce to you this morning um, Monsignor Michael Hines. We go back to 2011 when <laughs> um, I started an MDiv program at Notre Dame, and he is one of the most um, humble, charitable priests I have ever known. And he's currently at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. Um, helping to form our future priests. And so since our charism is to pray for priests, I thought he would be one of the great people to interview to find out a little bit more. So um, Monsignor, I'll let you say a few words about yourself. Well, thank you, Katie. It's it's a joy to join you uh, virtually. I, uh, yes, I was at Notre Dame. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, Indiana. I was at Notre Dame for about 12 years, the last six of which I was the director of the MDiv program there and got to know a wonderful uh, people like Katie and her colleagues and peers who were just, it was, it was life-giving to work with them. And then going on five years ago now, I, I was asked to teach at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland, which I'm doing formation work there, spiritual direction, teaching. And two years ago, I was asked to be the dean. So I'm now the dean as well, so which means added largely just bureaucratic administrative responsibilities, overseeing curriculum and things like that. But, so, but I certainly love what I do. Uh, I'm grateful for the fact that at Christmas and over the summers, I'm able to come back to my diocese and assist in parishes and do pastoral work. First of all, because they could use the help. And secondly, it's just life-giving. So happy to do that. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being with us. So um, as you ladies know, we pray for our priests every, all the time, but especially on Friday, we'll feature um, on social media, particular priests to pray for. And I know just how important it is for us to have that charism of praying for for priests, because especially as women, we have the feminine genius and also this receptivity towards others. And so um, one of the questions I was going to ask Monsignor Hines is how, um, how can we best pray for our priests? What, especially our seminarians, what do you, um, what do you see as most fruitful? I I really appreciate it. I think uh, first, first of all, thank you for the prayers for all of us. You know, I think that seminarians today, the, the thing that and it has a, it's a generational thing by and large, um, as you can imagine, you see among your peers, um, commitment is a difficult thing and commitment to marriage, commitment to religious life, commitment to priesthood is a very scary thing for a lot of millennials and post-millennials. I don't know what they're calling post-millennials <laughs> now, but, and I think that I find that there are too many men who battle who don't have fortitude. And so they need perseverance. And I think that seminary isn't always easy, but actually nothing in life is ever that easy. And I think that for some of them, you know, in a culture where often when things get rough, people are allowed to just stop or quit or give it up and discernment and formation, you know, no one's supposed to be giving up marriage, giving up on marriage because it's hard. Uh, You have to work through it and persevere. And I think that that seminarians, I think praying for their perseverance is really important because, you know, we we talk often about, and we certainly preach about the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, but I don't think we spend enough time perhaps talking about the natural virtues, including uh, fortitude, uh, which uh, I think that if we we put all our eggs in the basket of theological virtues, we miss some more fundamental things. 
And, you know, I think St. Catherine of Siena said fortitude in some ways is more important than charity because without fortitude, you won't remain in charity. Uh, And there's some wisdom, certainly wisdom to that. So I think that the men coming to formation today are earnest, desire, they love the Lord, they love the church, they're desirous of serving. They, they struggle with all the typical cultural challenges all people of that generation do. Um, the over-digitization of their lives, yeah, you know, yeah. screens and phones and iPads and all kinds of things. Um, and because of that, they, they're used to relating. There's a way of relating that comes from overuse of digital media. It isn't the same thing as sort of interpersonal communion. And so one of the things I think all of seminarians are learning today is actually vulnerability, intimacy, real friendship. Virtual relationships aren't real. No. They can supplement, you know, if grandma's in Florida and you want to show pictures or talk to the yeah. grandkids, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. But clearly it's not the same thing as being with grandma or having grandma with you. Right. And I think that for some men, they, they come to a seminary and discover for the first time, wow, this is what friendship is like. This is what real human relationships are like. And so I find them very, very open um, and willing to be vulnerable with one another and with the formators about their situation. So, so I think perseverance is the biggest thing. I think is, again, I, I know more men. I can imagine there are more men who've left seminary who should have stayed oh. than who stayed who should have left. And there's certainly okay. members in both categories. But I sometimes see men discern out, and it's like you're going to go on sputtering, right. whatever else step you take next, and. They're looking, I think they're looking, they're desiring a kind of clarity that isn't possible this side of the grave. And so they won't commit. And to, you know, we've seen this, I've seen this phenomenon as a parish priest with, with young, earnest and devout couples who will be dating for seven years, waiting for that, you know, uh, the hermetically sealed message from on high. Yes, this is the person you're supposed to marry. Faith and vocation involve some risk and to trust you know, so married couples, they really need to trust their friends, the people who love them, to help them make that discernment. Uh, right. It's not just Joe and Jane Catholic discerning marriage. It's Joe and Jane Catholic as part of a Catholic family, right. uh, the, the church at large, and how they experience that is through their Catholic friends, helping them to discern. Do you think John is the right man for me? She might ask her. Do you think Jane is the right woman for me? He might ask his friends. Well, it's similar in seminaries because only 50% of the discernment is the seminarian's responsibility. That is to say, I tell guys all the time, hey, you can take the foot off the pedal. You only have to be responsible for 50% of this. Your, your discernment is, do I think God is calling me to priest, be a priest? And that's a big question, but that's only half the discernment because the other 50% is the church discerning, does this man have a vocation to be a priest? Right. And there are times when the church discerns, like you may be earnest, you may be a nice guy, you may love the Lord, but we don't see in you what the church needs. Mm-hmm. And or you're unwilling to address these issues that we need you to address, so we ask you to step away from formation because right. you're in no way able right now to do the work that's required. Right. So the church is discerning the men as much as the men are discerning the church. Right. I I think we oftentimes forget that we assume that the priesthood is a right, and it's not a right. Um, not according to the catechism, yeah. not according yeah. to canon law. Yeah. Yeah, and again, and I think that's there's such an emphasis in our culture on personal individual rights and mm-hmm. individual choice, which is it's important. Personalism is important. Individualism is a problem. Right. And to recognize the dignity of persons is not to absolutize any of us in terms of our right to anything. Right. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, it's, it's 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 akin to someone saying, "Well, I have a right to marriage." You do, 
but you don't have a right to, to mandate who that spouse will be. They have to discern right. with you. Right. And a man discerning diocesan priesthood is discerning with his spouse, the church. Mm-hmm. So a young couple may be dating and a young man may feel very called to marry a young woman. If she doesn't similarly feel that vocation, it ain't happening. Right. <laughs> it shouldn't happen. Right. Uh, because it needs to be a free choice on both their parts to acknowledge this is the person God has called me to marry. When they make that discernment together, it's beautiful and wonderful. And seminarians have to trust the church. And the tr- church has to be open to the man who's in formation to see him grow. And, and th- that's one of the joys of being in seminary formation is I have been able to witness and see profound growth um, in the men who are open to being formed. Um, guys who come in resistant, uh, who think they've got it all figured out already, uh, who come with an agenda ideologically, who don't trust, have trust issues. Those are the guys who are going to sputter and struggle in seminary because they're going to grow, but it's going to be very difficult and it won't be type of the, the level of depth that's required. Right. A man who comes in who really entrusts himself to the formation staff, knowing that we have his best interest in mind, there's no, no fear in being honest with us. Right. Uh, and no one's out to get anybody or it's, you know, men in formation often feel like they're under a microscope, but I can tell you from the perspective of a formator, none of us is looking at them under a microscope. Right. We really look at the ensemble of things in a man's life, not one particular class or one particular interaction or struggle, rather the whole, pa- the whole package. We want to see a well-rounded, integrated human being. Yep. You yourself were in formation in the MD program in Notre Dame. You know what that, the, the goal is that kind yep. of deep integration. <laughs> It, 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 the locus of that is in the person, in you, right. in your classmates. Uh, and so what we want to see in each candidate is the kind of real growth and, and, and integration. And I have to say that I've been very blessed and graced to witness that in men. That, you know, they come in in their first year, and this is all really new to them, mm-hmm. but they're open and they trust. And is, is a, to quote uh, one of my friends and colleagues, one of your former formators, Stacey Noam at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. formation works. If yeah. Someone's open to it. Yes. Yeah. She's written many wonderful articles on that. I'll have to link um, link those when we post this. Um, one of the questions I was going to ask him follow up to that is, you know, after a, a priest is ordained, like it's great you have the the seminary formation or, and the community that's with him. But what can we do to help um, men and women, our, our, the laity, to help if we start to see a priest who's really struggling? This is a great question. I think that one of the challenges these seminarians have faced and are facing is that they have such a deep experience of fraternity in the seminary. Mm -hmm. Most of them are going to go back to diocese where after the first couple of years, the first couple of years they'll live with the priest, maybe someone from a different generation and not uh, particularly close to them personally. Not a bad thing. Um, But the adjustment to living alone in a rectory in a small country parish, which I'm an introvert, so it's kind of like... uh, Sign me up. (laughs) Uh, But for the men, because they have such an intense and happy experience of fraternity, they live, I mean, I live on the floor with the men. I have an apartment uh, in the, like a dorm rector would have. um, And they're up and down the hall and they're very fraternal. It's wonderful. Uh, And then they go land at St. Swithin by the swamp. And (laughs) after three years of being a parochial vicar, they're a pastor and they're alone. And I think that for a lot of priests, loneliness can become a real challenge. And, I get attentive to that, to that on the part of parishioners. I, I always encourage the men really to cultivate relationships with married couples of their generation, yep. uh, their peers, their peers they knew from, say, college or high school who are married now. Yeah. Deepen and cultivate those relationships. Those are life-giving to them, and that will help them. 
seminarians and priests, and this is true also of married persons, I suppose, have to be very careful of undue emotional attachments to particular individuals. Uh, This can happen in marriage. It can happen in priesthood. You know, I told the men, you know, they're they're not likely to go run off with a tramp. You know, they're going to be, the devil is very insidious, and he's going to play on their very piety and devotion to undo them. And so they have to be very careful about uh, landing in a parish and meeting the youth minister, the DRE, who is young and vibrant and on fire with faith Mm -hmm. and loves the Lord. And they're going to be drawn to that because they share that together. And they have to be careful that there doesn't develop through a very good thing, kind of an emotional dependency that can be dangerous and and unhealthy for both of them. Um, Again, nothing untoward, Right. physically just so we have, priests have to be very much on guard like where where am i we have to have a strong interior life and if we don't cultivate that we're going to get into trouble and even in when we cultivate it we still need really healthy effectively rich relationships with a broad range of persons right. rather than an exclusive friendship with any particular individual whether it's another priest or another lay person we need a range of relationships that are life-giving to us so that you know, it, it doesn't depend on the center of gravity in my life as a parish priest should not be any one individual. Right. Can't be. It's got to be the Lord first. Right. But also, <laughs> even within that, a range of individuals who are life-giving to me and for whom I'm life-giving. Right. And I think men will find that. So I think the greatest challenge, one of the greatest challenges is the loneliness, the down that's experienced after living for six or eight years in a community of like-minded, type A Overachieving males, right. a lot of alpha males in the seminary, and then they land in a parish, and they're all of a sudden alone, right. and they don't have accountability, they don't have fraternity. They have to be intent. I tell them all the time, you have to be intentional about such things. Um, you can't wait for it to happen. You okay. have to take, you know, take control. You know, one of my colleagues has a great line: "Be the protagonist of your own formation." Oh, I like that. You've got to be the you. You've got to be the one who takes control of. Of don't wait for things to happen, and then feel sorry for yourself when they don't. Right. Um, and so to, to land in a parish, a young priest should have in his mind, okay, I'm, I've been assigned to Parish X. One of my good priest friends is at Parish Y. I'm not going to be able to hang out with him every evening in a room and watch TV and talk. Right. So I've got to be intentional about what that looks like. I've got to make the initiative to say, hey, Father Brad, can we get together once a week, pray, have a meal together, fraternity, conversation, prayer together, you know, have fun together, vacation together. He's got to take the bull by the horns. He's got to be a protagonist for himself and make that happen because it won't happen. Uh, and this is, again, equal. the analogs with marriage are remarkable. It Very won't get as well. There's got to be a proactivity. Mm-hmm. Don't wait for bliss to come to you. You've got right. to work to make it. Right. And I've seen that a lot. We have a lot of just wonderful, holy young women who feel like they're stuck and they're just waiting for that, you know, right person to come along and, like you're saying, like you have to be that protagonist. They could, you know, go find those friendships, go, go after it. Don't just, you know, sit there and wait for it to come to you. And the challenge in our culture is like, people don't know how to date. No. <laughs> they don't know how to be engaged. Right. And the only culture that people mostly encounter is the hookup culture, which yep. no person wants to be part of. So right. where do you, where does a young Catholic find or meet someone of like mind? I must say, I, I, I've done a number of weddings where the couple has met on Catholic match. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. Because at least there's a pool of people you would think share the same worldview. Right. And it's, it's a great challenge. There's a lot of loneliness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, COVID has exemplified or exaggerated it considerably. But even before that, a great deal of the loneliness in people's lives. And 
The irony is for as many means of communication as we have to keep in touch with one another, from email to cell phones to texting to Skype to Zoom to any number of instruments, the quality of people's relationship one to another is is quite sad. It's right. it's it's the level of of the depth, intimacy, vulnerability, friendship, communion is mm-hmm. is substandard, and people are deeply lonely. And right. yet they have you know two hundred eighty five Facebook friends or whatever, right. but they're still lonely because those aren't real friends. Real no. friends are people you can be with. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they may be real friends, but the digital world is not real. The forum for real friendship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We've, um, we've struggled in trying to transition because we're a small group ministry and we've managed to get our small groups online and our women have been so good about trying to meet and coming up with creative ways of like, you know, essentially tailgating in the <laughs> church parking lot, <laughs> trying yeah. to meet with each other and being communion. But we know that that's no replacement for the like authentic human contact. Well, and, and Endow, and your work at Endow is doing wonderful things precisely to meet the need that, that a lot of people, young women, and young men too, but young yeah. women, of the deep loneliness. There's nobody, where do I, I mean, I work with four people who don't share my worldview at all. They're secular humanists or anti-Christian yeah. or anti-Catholic or totally yeah. indifferent and don't, and to find others of like mind, there are a number of, of groups, Endow being one of them, that, that helps foster a kind of community where there's some support. That wow, I'm not crazy loving Jesus right. like I do or wanting the Eucharist the way I you know, to pray and and to, to to realize that it's like a reality check, like wow, there are other sane people out there. Right. And yep. I'm too crazy for wanting to live this way and, and to see the witness of others who are trying to live the gospel in the same way. Right. Yeah. Um one of the questions I was gonna ask and this is shifting just a little bit, but we have a lot of um amazing, strong women who have um really taken charge of their lives. And one of the questions we get all the time kind of going back to, you know, the priesthood not being a right is like, okay, I as a woman can't be a priest. And so how can I have any influence whatsoever um, in the church? Like I feel called to lead, but I don't know what that looks like. And how do I, how do I um, put into concert this call that God has put on my heart to serve his community with the fact that in you know, from an exterior view, it looks like I can't actually have a position of leadership. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's a profoundly important question. It's on many, many, not only women's hearts, it's on many men's hearts. I believe, the, I think, the, I believe and I know the church gets it right. Yeah. Um, I don't know that the church has articulated well enough um, a theology of the reservation of the ordained priesthood to males um, that's, that's, as appealing or effective as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the correct teaching. I don't know that we've done the best job. Cardinal Mueller uh, wrote a book, actually, uh, not on this question explicitly, but on diaconate and priesthood. And he addresses it in light of John Paul's theological anthropology, mm. theology of creation that's found in yep. John Paul. Far too intricate for me to try to walk through <laughs> a couple of minutes, but I do, I do think his, his, his work, he's worked toward considerably closer to articulating well the church's reason. I think a couple of things to be kept in mind, leadership, unfortunately, in our context and culture, not just American culture, European culture too, leadership is always seen and understood in terms of power. Uh-huh. And again, I, I think that's a dangerous paradigm because then it becomes about power sharing or power grabbing and have, have clergy manipulated power. Absolutely. absolutely. And that's sinful. Yep. Um, it's, that's not a right. That's sinful to manipulate 
power over others. Right. Because, you know, as, as this beautiful Spanish hymn says, poder es servir, power in the Christian dispensation is actually service. Right. Christ undermines, this is what drove Nietzsche so crazy, but this Christ totally undermines the dynamic and, and the, the calculus of power. So I think to, we have to move away from well, who has power in the church because mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be about power. And I do think we need, desperately need, strong, intelligent, competent women in positions of leadership and authority. And there are many ways women can lead that aren't mm-hmm. sacramental ministry necessarily. Right. You know, there are a number of women who are chancellors of dioceses. Mm-hmm. There's a woman who's a chancellor, if I know, know her, the Diocese of Peoria, Illinois. Yep. Um, extremely competent. She, is, she does not suffer fools, and she's devout and loves the church, and her gifts are being exercised at the service of the church in right. that world. I know women who work in tribunals, yep. uh, Dawson tribunals, working not only in marriage cases, but other canonical things. Right. There are avenues and ways in which women can serve and lead in the church that are quite real and concrete. So I think we need, I mean, I was privileged at Notre Dame, you know, in my time to work with two I would consider very competent and yeah. very strong women, Jan Porman and Stacey Noam. Yep. And again, different from one another and different from me, but we had a, a collaborative relationship that, that was enriching, I hope. I know it was enriching mm-hmm. to me. I yeah. hope it was enriching to them as well. And I think the witness we could offer to the students in the program of, wow, this is how lay leadership and clerical leadership can yep. look. And I think priests have a very uh, important obligation to model in their parishes what their staff, again, you got a small staff, doesn't matter the size or the budget, how we model leadership and relation and relationality collaboration with uh, uh, the men and women of our parish who work with us um, right. in leadership in the parish, whether it's someone who's directing our CIA or someone who's the uh, business administrator of the parish. That right. These aren't people who work for me. They're people I work with for the parish. Right. You know, that doesn't abdicate my authority as a pastor to have the, the buck's got to stop somewhere. Right. My goodness, I love the fact that I could have around me as a pastor strong, competent people, men and women who are not ordained, whom I could rely on because their expertise and judgment in so many things is well beyond my own. Right. And it doesn't mean that I simply asked them and did what they said, but their input and their guidance was pivotal in all the decisions I made. Right. And so I know I made mistakes, every person does. But it wasn't because I listened to them, okay? The mistakes right. I made were not because I trusted and listened to them. Often it was because of my own willfulness or blind spots. And, and we have to admit, every priest, every layperson, anyone in a position of authority has blind spots. If we knew what they were, they wouldn't be blind spots. That's right. why we need friendships, good friendships that are, I would call, authentic or real where people can challenge us appropriately. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily my employees doing that, Right. But I need people in my life close enough to me say, you know, like it works wonderfully in marriage um, right. because the, the accountability is so present 24 hours a day. Yes. <laughs> life, you don't, and again, I'm not, I'm an advocate of clerical celibacy. I think it's beautiful and, and it's theologically rich. It's not just a great practice we got to keep. It's theologically rich way of life. However, the occupational hazard of celibate males mm-hmm. is that they can, in the name of celibacy, insulate themselves from real relationships because they're right. afraid of them or because they like the sort of power it gives them over those people because those people could never challenge or call, call into question. We need to have, it doesn't mean everyone has the same sort of uh, entree into our inner circle of friendship, but I do think priests need to have friends in their life, men and women 
who can say, what is that about? <laughs> that is weird. Because you think about it, there, there are a number of priests, not just priests, but celibate, priestly because, priests because they're celibate. There are any number of older priests who are wonderful men. They're virtuous, they're good, they're holy, they love God and the church, and who have all kinds of weird quirks because no one's ever called them on it. Right. Like human formations, you know, we do that in seminary, but after seminary, it's up to the man and his friends to continue human formation. Right. I'm not going to call a guy who dated two years ago in Lincoln and say, how's your human formation going? <laughs> and that's right. done by real, vibrant, living relationships with colleagues, men and women who are more than just colleagues, friends, who can call us, hold us accountable and say, like, that was so strange or odd. Or, or do you realize how you came across? We need that reality check. And so I'm grateful in my life. I have a number of, we, we all have layers of intimacy in our life where we mm-hmm. allow some people in so far. And others. I have friends that I think, and I, I know because they've done this, who are willing and able to call me out when they think I need to be called out. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that they're infallible and, and I'm solely fallible, but I need that reality check. Mm-hmm. And in marriage, there's the grace of living every day and, and rubbing elbows every day with the person you love. Mm-hmm. We usually have no trouble saying like, what was that about? What were you thinking? Which is beautiful. Yeah, what were you thinking? Which is beautiful. We need that in our lives too. So yeah. the roundabout answer to, to a, a complex question, but I do think we need to stay away from paradigms of power, or at least yep. power is sort of understood as, as in organizational models like corporations and such, right. CEO and people under him. Um, again, the best witness of what priestly leadership looks like is the pastor who is, it's an overused term, but is a servant leader yep. um, who, does, who leads by doing and inspires his people because he's washing feet all the time. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the one that people are, are going to trust and follow. Right. The imperious pastor who, because of his office, thinks that alone gives him power. Look, if there's anything in the last 20 years that's become evident in the church is that yeah. no longer do priests get a pass or right. bishops get a pass or cardinals get a pass. Right. That, well, we have to trust them because they have authority. No, we have trust no. them to be earned. Yep. And we have to work very hard to earn and then maintain the trust of the people we serve. Right. Uh, unfortunately, that train has left the station where it was automatically granted to a cleric. Um, maybe it's, it's sad that it had to happen that way. Maybe it's for the best because maybe it makes us more accountable, less likely to be imperious. Um, but we have to earn and maintain the trust of the people of God. Yeah, I think that was one of the most profound. I mean, there were many profound moments in graduate school and humbling moments, but um, being in formation alongside seminarians and knowing like we were still friends, we'll be friends forever, but we can call each other out on like, okay, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? You know, it's those friendships are just so important for me as a married woman. um, But also for them, I, I just, I can't speak highly enough of them. And, um, yeah, just helping each other to try to figure out, okay, like how can we better serve the people? It, it is incredibly humbling when you think about it, but we are tasked with with serving. Like, how can we best keep their interests at the forefront of our minds? It is, it's, it's overwhelming to think about. Lots of prayer needed. <laughs> but it's beautiful and they're better priests for your friendship with them. Um, priests, I tell seminarians all the time, you have to have friendships with other priests, but your your friendships cannot be exclusively with other priests. Right. You get really weird. Right. <laughs> you need to have friends who are not priests, that who relate to you as a human being, not mm-hmm. first as a human being, not as a priest first, which doesn't right. mean they don't respect the priesthood. It means that they know you and most of the friends that I'm closest with are from my grade school and high school days. So they've known me as Mike or Michael long before I was ever right. ordained. 
And they know me really, really well. And their friendship makes, and their witness, like many of them are married, their witness teaches me all the time about unselfishness. Mm-hmm. I told friends of mine, they have seven children. Uh, the oldest is my godson. I'll be witnessing his marriage next month. Mm-hmm. And like the patience that I've seen them like demonstrate in raising their children and in correcting their children and loving their children. It's like, I don't know that I have the gifts for that. And it's so overwhelming to see it and to see the witness and to be so moved by it and to be taught and edified by it. And yeah. so that I'm learning all the time from my uh, friends who are not priests. I learned from my priest friends too, but they're not usually as interesting as my lay friends. Who are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You throw kids into the mix and it gets oh. really interesting really oh. quickly. Oh. <laughs> Um, well, just one final question before we wrap up. Um, is there anything as, as a seminary formator and in all the years that you've served in ministry, if you could communicate one thing to our women who are trying so desperately to learn more about their faith, to fall deeper in love with Jesus, to encounter those saints, to live out their feminine genius, what would kind of be the one piece of advice you would give them? I think that it's the same advice I would give a seminarian, a priest, a man preparing for marriage, a woman preparing for marriage, the two things that in, in vocationally, regardless of the state of life, the two things that I think are absolutely essential that we can never surrender are fidelity and generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so easy to want to quit, to yeah. let up. You get worn down, whether by children who are becoming a handful or by a spouse that's not as supportive or by a pastor who doesn't get your vision or by people who don't appreciate your gifts in the parish, whatever it is, we have to remain faithful and never stop being generous. You think about it. What would you look, what does anyone desire in a spouse? Fidelity and generosity. Mm -hmm. Should we desire in a priest? Fidelity and generosity. And so my word to all of us, I I always preach to myself first, Mm -hmm. fidelity, generosity. That's what we need to focus on. And the Lord sees that and he looks upon it with love and he Mm -hmm. smiles. When he sees uh, a young mother or an older mother, uh, you know, doing some task that's menial, they do it out of love, even though it's a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. No one sees it. They're not rewarded for it. The children don't appreciate it. Right. The Lord sees it. And he looks on it with love. And that's the audience we should always worry about. Not the one that everyone, not what we can, you know, our, all our works are not performed to be seen. Right. And to do the, the daily tasks with fidelity and generosity, that's where holiness is found. The Kossad's uh, sacrament of the present moment. Yeah. To find God in every moment. Um, that, that My vocation, my, my call to holiness right now is being lived up by being on this interview with you. Right. I know that's God's will for me. And if I'm faithful and generous in doing that, I'm doing what God wants. Mm-hmm. It's when I want to go my own way and say, like, I got more important things to do, or I need to, my own time or my own space. Be faithful, be generous. Those are my words. I love it. That's a great way to end. Well, thank you so much for being with us. We will Thank you all. And God bless all of you. And thanks for your prayers. Yes, absolutely. We'll see you soon. Thank you. If this episode was helpful for you, I would love it if you'd share it with your friends. I would also love to hear your comments and feedback. So please email me at simone.riscala at endowgroups.org or feel free to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. Remember, you are the heart of Endow.